Hello and welcome to the Barton Legal Podcast. I'm Bill Barton, a solicitor who lives and breathes construction and engineering law. At Barton Legal, we help clients in the UK and around the world on everything from litigation and arbitration to drafting and negotiating contracts. And in this podcast, we unpack the latest legal trends and problems facing the industry, providing you with straight-talking insights to help break down these complex legal questions. So, let's get on with today's episode. Hi, today we're going to be talking about repudiation of construction contracts. Why are we talking about repudiation? Because it's something that crops up more and more. Um, I'm asked to advise on this on a regular basis, and it's a commonly misconceived, misunderstood aspect of law. But if you get it wrong, it has very serious repercussions. So there are two ways that you can terminate a construction contract. And, And here we are just generally talking purely about construction. So firstly, contractually or at common law. So a common law termination can occur by, as they say, operation of law, where the guilty parties committed a repudiatory breach of contract and the innocent party, so that's the party that didn't commit that breach, has elected to accept the repudiation and then terminates the contract. Repudiation is loosely defined concept where, I'd say a definition is, where one party so acts to express themselves as to show that they do not mean to accept the obligations of a contract any further. As Hudson identifies, a leading text on this area, repudiatory breach has often been referred to as a breach which denies a party of substantially the whole benefit of the contract. Now, a repudiatory breach can occur in you know, a couple of ways. So firstly, a guilty party has breached a term of the contract which is sufficiently serious in itself to justify termination. Or it might be where a party has acted in such a manner as to show that it no longer intends to be bound by the terms of the contract. And there's a a slight difference between the two. Where there's been a repudiatory breach, The effect, as I've said, is that the innocent party is entitled to terminate the contract, which releases both parties from their contractual obligations and entitles the innocent party to damages for that breach of contract. However, the innocent party is under an ongoing duty to mitigate its loss. So the fact that they are terminating based on the other party's breach doesn't sort of give them carte blanche to claim uh, or recover anything they like. They must, as I say, uh, mitigate, so that's reduce, aim to reduce the nature of the loss they're suffering. Now, the following are examples of behaviour which could be identified or used as repudiatory breach. So, where a term of contract is breached in such a manner that it would be unreasonable for the innocent party to continue with the contract. And that will depend on the seriousness of the breach and the effect of that on the innocent party. There isn't a rigid test that the court will use in establishing this. So it's a sort of a varied test, but you can look at it as that there are various ways which can probably be applied mechanically and then there are ways that should not be applied. The court will consider what the party's conduct objectively 
looks like to both parties and they'll consider the impact of the guilty party's behaviour on the other's, other side. So what was the impact, as I said before, on the innocent party? The yardstick for judging the breach is the benefit the innocent party should have obtained from the contract that the breach has now deprived them of. So examples might be an employer not paying or consistently failing to provide possession of a site. Attempted termination can amount to a repudiatory breach of contract if the guilty party purported to terminate the contract in circumstances where it wasn't actually entitled to do so. I.e. they haven't followed the terms of the contract and therefore what they are doing is itself a breach. It might also amount to repudiatory behaviour where an order to suspend works is made wrongfully or for an uh, indefinite period of time, even where the contractor would be entitled to an extension of time for the period of that suspension. It can also be repudiatory behaviour where the employer procures works from a third party rather than the contractor. So that's effectively where you bring someone else in and give them some of your existing contractor's work without an agreement to do so. So you've removed part of their work. Whether a failure to make a payment amounts to a repudiatory breach rather than just an entitlement to sue for damages for the breach of that contract will always depend on the facts. A short-term liquidity problem or genuine misunderstanding on the part of the employer about its payment obligations is also less likely to amount to repudiatory breach. However, if the non-payment is due either to a wrongful refusal to pay or money which is properly owing, then that would amount to a substantial and seemingly terminal financial incapacity. That would be a repudiation. Examples of a contractor breach may include abandonment of the site and or removal of essential items such as labour, plants, machinery, materials, etc. Failure to proceed with due diligence can be a repudiatory breach if reasonable notice has been given, but the courts are very cautious to find repudiation where withdrawal of labour or simply a go slow occurred. So here what we're needing to differentiate between is a contractor who effectively just walks off site, abandons the site, and one where perhaps they had 50 or 100 men on site and they've reduced that down to five. And it, there's a subtle difference you can see there. And it's the same with plant and machinery. If you remove everything, that's a much clearer sort of departure from site whereas if you only remove bits and pieces of your equipment arguably you've still got some site presence so you do have to think very carefully that it's a question of degree care also needs to be taken in treating defects as a repudiatory breach often these are due to subcontractors and the main contractor may be making efforts to get those rectified already so that might give rise to other forms of contractual liability for the main contractor, but it doesn't necessarily follow that they are in repudiatory breach because they are responsible for the subcontractor, but you need to be clear as to what they are doing. If, you, if you're absolutely certain that they're not doing anything, that might be sufficient. 
but it's a, a dangerous thing to to act on if you haven't checked the facts. Where there's a, a term of a contract that's breached that is such that although the breach on its own is not sufficiently serious, but it's being breached so frequently or protractedly that it demonstrates that the guilty party no longer intends to be bound by the contract or makes it really difficult for the innocent party to perform the contract, that can amount to a repudiation. So, where a party simply walks away from their obligations, they are clearly indicating that they no longer wish to be bound by the contract. That could be an anticipatory breach, where one party actually tells the other that he no longer intends to perform all or part of the contract before they walk away. So again, you need to think about what has actually happened. Has that party walked off and abandoned the work, and is that really evincing an intention not to be bound, or is it merely a temporary uh, cessation of their work for some other reason? And again, if you get it wrong, you might end up terminating the contract, and your termination might then itself be a repudiation. Where the parties have expressly designated a contractual term as being so significant that breaching it could be a repudiation, that is also something to take account of. So that's looking at the specific wording of the contract. And the law will make a distinction between breaches of conditions, which are always repudiatory, and breaches of warranties, which only give rise to a claim for damages. And that's why within contracts you'll see normally that some things are where a contractor warrants and some where a party says it is a condition. So again, you need to differentiate between the two. Um, disclaimers or warnings. It's very hard to establish when there has been a repudiatory breach. So you need to consider all of the facts very carefully. And the, the advice from a leading judgment, actually given by Lord Wilberforce back in 1980, was... Repudiation is a drastic conclusion which should only be held to arise in clear cases of a refusal in a matter going to the root of a contract to perform contractual obligations. So here you have a refusal to perform their obligations. And, and again, we come back partly to timing so that a contractor might leave site and you think, ah, so they've left site, so they're guilty of repudiation. But what happens if they come back the next day? Or they could evidence that it was their intention to come back the next day. It's always, uh, as I say, better to check. And, you know, you can ask. It might be that contractor will confirm to you that they have indeed abandoned the site. Now, termination under the contract doesn't necessarily require the guilty party to have committed a breach so serious that it's repudiation. Rather, contractual termination must simply be based on termination under the relevant provisions in the contract. And under a contract, you, as one of the parties, are free to set whatever provisions you want for events, even if they're not breaches of the contract. So something you can state that if something isn't done, that can amount to a breach of contract, giving rise to a right to termination. So contractual termination 
gives rise to remedies that are set out within the contract. And, and again, there's a link between what will amount to a termination and what are the rights of either or both parties if that occurs. Now, there can be an overlap between the two because you might have behaviour which might cause an innocent party to terminate contractually, um, but it also might be sufficiently serious as to enable them to terminate at common law. So they'd effectively have a choice. But what do you do if the contract has been repudiated? Well, you know, I would say this, but the first step I would advise you is take legal advice. Repudiation is an extremely complex legal construct and there is a risk that if you think a party has repudiated and you terminate the contract, but it was then found that there was no repudiatory breach, then you may well have committed a repudiatory breach yourself in terminating the contract on that incorrect assumption or on those incomplete set of facts. Given if a contract has been repudiated, then the innocent party has two choices. They can affirm the repudiation, so that is one option, or they can elect to terminate the contract. It's essential that when the repudiatory behaviour occurs, that you as the innocent party act promptly. It's not possible for the innocent party to simply wait to come to a decision before electing to terminate while simultaneously continuing to operate under the contract. You can't have, you know, your cake and eat it. You need to take action either way. If an innocent party decides to affirm the repudiation, that is to acknowledge it, but, but decide not to terminate the contract, then, yes, you continue the contract as if that never happened, and you may be able to claim damages for behaviour, which was a breach of the contract, if there was some breach, but not for the repudiation. And if an innocent party comes to a decision that it wants to terminate the contract, then you have to clearly communicate that to the guilty party. Now, there's no specific way or formality in formal way in which that's done, but you must demonstrate a clear and unequivocal intention to terminate the contract. So I'd leave you with some broad advice and some basic steps in relation to termination. Always locate and review the, the relevant contract or agreement. What does that actually say? Do any of the terms cover the situation or behaviour that has occurred? As I say, how does it provide for that event or circumstance or is it entirely silent? Consider the meaning of the relevant wording and clauses and also look to see what other clauses in the contract might be referred to or become relevant. Are there any words within the contract such as condition precedent, express, time of the essence or phrases like that present because that is indicative of provisions that need to be complied with and failure to do so may amount to a contractual breach. Is there any stated mechanism or steps to be followed? So here we're talking about notice process and what does that actually require? So does it say that the notice must be in a certain form? Does it say it has to be served on a specific individual? 
does it say it has to be served on a particular address? What about the timing of that notice? Does it have to be given within a certain number of days on a, of an event or of you becoming aware of certain circumstances? And of course, are you clear about the actual facts that you're relying on? And what evidence do you have to support your view or your decision? Is this something you know firsthand or has it simply been reported to you? And then also consider fundamental issues such as do you actually want to bring the contract to an end? As I said, repudiation and termination is a complex area of law. I'd always advise people to take advice whether you are on the receiving end and you believe someone has terminated your contract or has committed an act of repudiation or before you take such steps. The most common form, as I said, is where a contractor just walks off site because they haven't been paid. There is no such right in English law. And to uh, avoid situations such as that, if you want to suspend because you haven't been paid, you must give seven days notice. And suspension is a whole sort of other area. So if you have any questions on termination, then do have a look at our website, that's bartonlegal.com, or please visit our many webinars, which also can be found on the website. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for joining me for today's Barton Legal podcast. Please make sure you follow the show in your podcast app to get new episodes as soon as they're released. We'll be tackling another important topic in this month's Barton Legal webinar, And you can register for free and watch back our previous webinars at bartonlegal.com. Why don't you connect with me on LinkedIn and follow Barton Legal to keep up to date with all the legal trends and news. I look forward to speaking to you again in the next Barton Legal podcast.